What is Crackalackin' Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Damp Valley coming at you without my fantabulous co-host Adam Brommel. I am, however, pleased and excited as always to keep our season look-ahead train rolling. We have the Houston Rockets up next, so I've brought on my good friend Salman Ali. He covers the NBA and the Houston Rockets for Clutch Points. He also hosts the Red Nation Hoops podcast for Blue Wire Podcast. Uh, We are also with the Blue Wire Network. Fantastic people over there. Follow Salman on Twitter at Salman Ali MBA. That's at S-A-L-M-A-N-A-L-I-M-B-A. We get into all things Rockets. Wanted to do a special quick note here. I'm going to be doing a lot of pre-recorded intros moving forward. Uh, we ask that we will still be publishing a lot of national content during this time, the lead up to this season. We'll be attaching them to some team previews in front of it. Um, we do ask, though, look, if you're fans of the general NBA, download these podcasts anyway. Uh, just, if this is your first time listening to us because you saw us from Solomon or you're a Rockets fan, give us a chance. Look at our national coverage. Rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, this time of year is weird because a lot of people don't necessarily like to chop in and talk about specific teams. I think it's very useful to try and do a deep dive into as many teams as possible. We are basically going to be going seven days a week now through the start of the season if the, the schedule works out as planned. So we appreciate everyone who goes on these journeys with us. I love talking to people who cover specific teams, have intimate knowledge of those squads as we get ready for the for the start of the year. I think it's a lot of fun and an instructive and, and informative exercise. I will not waste any more of your time, though, other than to say, remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com, search Hardwood Knox, will pop up. Follow us on Twitter, at Hardwood Knox. And again, if this is your first time listening, please, pretty please, with sugar on top, subscribe to us, download all our episodes. That goes for longtime listeners, too. Download all our episodes. Help, help us continue to juice those numbers. Let's talk some Houston Rockets now with Salman Ali from the Red Nation Hoops podcast. And welcome back to the Hardwood Knox podcast. It felt weird not recording with you eight times over the offseason like we did last year when the yeah. Russell Westbrook, James Harden stuff was happening. But there is still stuff happening in Houston Rockets land to the point that there's a chance, you know, which will be on brand for us that this podcast gets dated after it goes up because maybe the Rockets get rid of John Wall. Maybe, maybe they don't. They've been mentioned tangentially in the Ben Simmons sweepstakes. I think every team at this point has been mentioned in the Ben Simmons sweepstakes. Um, First and foremost, though, how the hell are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. The weather's pretty, you know, pretty good in Houston. No more tropical storms for the time being. You know, you never know with that stuff. You can form at any time, but I think I'm doing all right for right now. Um, The Rockets, though, they've Mm -hmm. undergone kind of a facelift over the past year-ish. Um, really to get us started before we get into the nuts and bolts of, of everything, what were just your impressions, takeaways from what they've done this offseason? I guess it, we should, I should put the asterisk of so far. Any prevailing themes or any moves that surprised you that, that you liked and anything along those lines? Well, it's pretty clear that they're really leaning into the youth movement. Like as, a, as an indicator, like before the offseason, they had two players 21 years or younger. Now they have six, right? And uh, – I, and, you know, they're they're having John Wall kind of scurry away so they can, you know, have have their young players have more playing time, more usage, all that stuff. So it's it's pretty clear that they're leaning into that stuff and they're taking they're taking a lot of stabs at like high high level talent. Right. Which I which I think is good. I think if you're a right. Rockets fan, like the, the fact that they're taking these kinds of swings, you know, maybe, maybe they don't hit all the time. Like they they were in the conversation for Damian Lillard, apparently, according to Brian Windhorst. So 
and obviously they probably weren't going to land him, but the fact that they're in those conversations, I think that's pretty good. You have, you still have a very aggressive front office after Daryl Morey. Yeah. And I mean, they do have um, assets to move if they really wanted to go all in, but I think, you know, as I would agree with everything you said there and given the John wall news that he's just, he's going to be at training camp and show up to media day. It sounds like, but he's not going to be with the team. Um, I'm curious as to why they would do that. Maybe it's because they value his input with the locker room, or does he want to give interviews and say, "Hey, I'm I'm 150 percent on the player, whatever." Uh, he has this isn't a hot take, and it's no no offense to John Wall. I'm glad he got paid. He has the worst contract in the NBA. He does, yeah, two years and 91 million dollars. What's the most likely outcome here? And I really I'm asking you, one, can they actually find a move for him? And two. If they, or, or can they find a move for him, or is this going to inevitably end in a buyout, even though they say that's not going to happen, even though he probably doesn't want to give up money? And if you do see it ending, have you even, I know you've given thought to this. Are there any teams yeah. that you've talked yourself into as, okay, they could be actually willing to take on John Wall? So let's backtrack a little bit. So they're, they're having him coming into, coming into training camp because they want him to stay in shape. Uh, do they want John Wall to be ready to go if they find that suitor? Will they find that suitor is a real question though, right? I, I don't think they're, you know, I wrote about this a little bit, right? I think there's two teams that I think I could see a John Wall trade with, like, and that's pretty much the Clippers or the Mavericks. And I'm not sure I, I, I'm 100% sold the Mavericks. Really, it's the Clippers. If you're going to find a team, it's probably the Clippers. That The Rockets don't have to surrender multiple first-round picks to give up the Walls contract. That's probably the one team where you don't have to do that with because they have a bunch of aggregatable contracts. And, you know, you're really only talking about taking on $15 million of salary in 2023 and 2024 in terms of Luke Kennard if they were to do a trade. And, like, that's a significant chunk of money. I'm not going to pretend like that's not nothing, but that also gets you in the door and like, you don't have to give up a first round pick. You, you're taking on that extra money. So in exchange, you're not giving up that first round pick. They are in need of point guard play. Uh, they've been in need of point guard play. Uh, Kawhi Leonard's entire tenure there. Um, I think, you know, it's pretty clear that if Kawhi Leonard is your best passer, you have a problem uh, offensively. Like I, they have a bunch of well-fitting pieces. It's you just can't have Patrick Beverly stirring the drink or Reggie Jackson or Eric Bledsoe. Like you have to have someone better there. I think eventually that's probably going to be have have to be something that they're going to address. Maybe Eric Bledsoe is that guy for them. You know, maybe they decide Reggie jo- Reggie Jackson, Eric Bledsoe. That's the combo we're going to go with, and we're just going to depend on our forwards for playmaking. I don't. I'm not sure if that's a long term recipe to really contend with the Bucks and the Lakers of the world. Um, that's the only team. I and to be honest, I don't buy that either. I think this is headed towards a buyout. Uh, this re- this really unraveled faster than I thought it was going to be. I thought this would all this stuff would happen next summer, and it's happening now, which kind of indicates I think the buyout will happen sooner rather than later. I think you're talking probably in February after the trade deadline. That's usually when the high profile buyouts happen every year, and I think what you're looking at is like the Rockets are going to do their best to find a suitor. They're going to, you know, they're going to work with, you know, clutch and rich Paul and, you know, they're going to come to the conclusion together. I think the Rockets probably already knew this, but, you know, to kind of sell it to clutch, like, listen, there's not a suitor here. You're, you're, you're following us. You're following us along in every step of the process. Like look around the market, you see a suitor. And at that point you can sell it to them. Like you can give up like, if you can give up a few million dollars here or there, 
you know, we can come to an agreement on a buyout. I'm not sure if they're willing to do a buyout, but I think that's probably their only, that's probably their only course of resolution. What, where else, what else could they possibly do? Uh, you know, unless they want to wait till next summer when he becomes an expiring contract and, you know, maybe he's more valuable in trades, but at that point, like, I still think that's a long time for John Wall to be on the bench. And you're talking about a player that was, out of the NBA for two years, didn't play basketball for two years. I right. did you like, I, I don't think he wants to do that again. Um, so it's, it's going to be, um, it's probably going to result in a buyout. I don't think they're going to find a trade suitor. We'll see, you know, the Rockets are pretty aggressive with this stuff, but I don't think they want to give up any first round picks. That's really what it comes down to. I don't think like, first of all, their first round picks are pretty valuable, right? Like if they were going to trade their own first first round pick for 2023, that's probably going to be a lottery pick. And other than that, you're probably talking the Milwaukee pick that they own the 2023 Milwaukee first round pick. And I don't think they even want to give up that because they're a rebuilding team. Why would you give up assets as a rebuilding team when you don't have to, you know, when it's, you're really in the driver's seat here. And that's kind of the unique thing here with, with clutch, right? They're usually always in the driver's seat of these situations. This is one where they're not because he's clearly a really bad contract and everybody recognizes that. And he clearly needs to play more than the Rockets need him to play. And I think, I think this is probably going to end up being a buyout if I were to guess. Yeah. Like it really comes down to whether they would be giving willing to give up assets to actually get him off. And I don't think it would have to be more than just that Milwaukee pick, which is why if you're them, you shouldn't want to do it. You're not at that stage of your development to do it. And that when people mention the the thunder, it's just, they're not doing that for free. And they're not doing that based off how they've executed others, not similar trades, but salary dumps that they've taken on. They're not accepting a low end first for the remainder of John Wall's contract. It's just not happening. Yeah. And like, when, when you talk about, you know, I've, I've, I've heard the trades of like, what about a Kevin Love for John Wall swap? We're like, why would John Wall want to do that? Right. Like, I, I, I would assume Cleveland I, want to do that. Like, yeah, Kevin, Kevin Love and Ricky Rubio, I guess, is the move. But you have Colin Sexton and Darius Garland there. Yeah. And if you're not trading Ricky Rubio, then now you have John Wall, Ricky Rubio, Darius Garland and Colin Sexton there. Yeah. And if you're the Rockets. I guess breaking up John Wall into smaller contracts has value, but Kevin Love might be the second worst contract in the NBA. If not, he's probably one of the top five, top seven worst right now. So yeah, it's the the Clippers, I guess an ideal scenario for the Rockets would be maybe the Clippers start off slow. Their picks already going to Oklahoma city this year, even though they don't have Kawhi Leonard, there is an incentive to win. Perhaps they're, there's a sense of urgency to, Hey, we need to do something to swing for the fences. Eric Bledsoe has been bad. You could then make that trade with Luke Kennard, which the contract isn't good, but if you're going to overpay someone or take on the longer term salary, it might as well just be a motion shooter who can literally just plug and play beside whatever type of offense you want to run. And there are defensive limitations to him, but you can use him on the ball a little bit and he'll shoot his, his knees are in question. I get it. That's far from the worst case scenario for me. And if you break up John wall into smaller contracts, even if one of them is longer, uh, there's still value in that. You can use those in other trades or Luke Kennard isn't necessarily ancient. You can look at that. So that might be, that's sort of the one scenario I see as possible. Otherwise. Well, uh, and and, and the thing, the thing with Luke Kennard is like, if you really want cap space in 2023 and you feel like you're going to get like a star player in that summer, well, you can dump him right at that point. If you really feel like you're going to get that, that level of player, because you have, you have that much cap space right now. Well, then it's not that hard to move a $15 million contract. Yeah. I'm, and that's what I was going to say is I'm very much of the mind too. When you're using the cap space argument, 
make it when you need it. There's no point the way we've seen extensions unfold um, or stars just not really leaving in free agency. There's no point. And even the Knicks kind of made this decision where they've, and I think correctly, the deals they signed this summer showed, say what you will about some of them. I wasn't a fan of all of them. They've decided that the next star is coming via trade instead of free agency. I'm not saying those contracts are assets, but they want to be good without giving up flexibility for later. And for any team that wants to sign a free agent, great. You will create the money. And I think we've seen Miami do it in the past. They'll, they'll make the money appear if they need it. So I'm definitely with you there. I would normally save this for the end of this whole segment, but because we're into the John Wall territory of it, it does seem that the Rockets might be, maybe it's just this case specifically, but they might be sort of thinking about the next moves unloading veterans sooner than we've expected. Two names that I think are actually going to be semi-coveted is Daniel House, if he's healthy on his, his expiring deal. And then Eric Gordon has two guaranteed years left on his contract with this season. Uh, do you think that they'll look at moving one of them? Is there one you expect is going to be more likely to move than the other? Would you predict that both of them would be gone before last season? Where do you sort of stand on, on that whole situation with the two of them? Eric Gordon's absolutely going to be gone by this point in February. It's it's just like he's too useful of a player and his contract really isn't that bad. I know there are a lot of people that think that's a bad contract. I don't think it's that bad of a contract. When you look at like the amount of high-level playoff games that guy's been in and how useful he's been in those high-level playoff games, like I'm sure there's a contender out there that could use his services. Uh, I've actually written about some landing spots with him. I think, I think Eric Gordon will be gone by this point. Daniel House... You know, players like that usually expire all the time and go to different teams. I, I, it's, I don't think there's that much of an urgency to move him. I mean, his value isn't that high. You might be able to get like a second round pick for him, but like, you know, it's, it's, it's whatever. It's not that big of a deal. You can, I think, I see Daniel House as more of an aggregatable contract where like you can really combine his salary with others. Like, you know, let's just say the Rockets want to move David Nwaba or they want to move, uh, uh, they just signed Dante Exum. You know, if they want to, if they want to aggregate Dan, Dante Exum's contract with Daniel House, with you know, that like net the, rating incentive, <laughs> that is just the most Rockets thing I've ever heard of. Like, I've never heard of a net rating. It's like, like the Rockets did. I'm not sure if you remember Clint Capella's contract. They had a defensive rebounding rate in the in his in his contract. That's so nerdy. It, it, it's next level nerdy. And, um, it, you know, it, it's encouraging that they're still doing stuff like that under the new regime because like it shows they're still thinking out of the box, but uh, yeah, it's such a rockets thing to do. Um, Yeah. But like, you know, I see back to Daniel house. I see his contract as more of something you could aggregate with other smaller deals and perhaps, you know, if, whether you're looking to acquire an expiring contract or whether you're looking to acquire a better salary, I think that that's probably where you look. That's probably where you're looking with Daniel House. I don't think it's possible that they, you know, they just move him for a second round pick. It's not out of question at all. But um, I think Eric Gordon is definitely going to be moved. I think Daniel House is absolutely going to be moved just because his salary is so small and the positional malleability he gives you on defense uh, is it's valuable. It's like a team like Utah that really just needs more optionality on the wings aside from Royce O'Neal when you just look at how slow their wing defenders are if that's his price leading into the trade deadline especially if he's not shooting threes as well as he was given what happened last year um but Eric Gordon's interesting because I I honestly don't know but I would agree with you that he should be viewed as valuable people probably worried about his age about his uh health history but last year before he was injured uh he shot 58.2 percent on drives which was the sixth best mark among 143 players who averaged at least five drives per game. And so the only players in front of him are Luca, 
Jalen Brunson, Joe Ingles, LeBron, and Giannis. He gives you real downhill jet fuel. And those super deep threes, even when he's not hitting them, defenses still respect him. So he's spacing the floor. And so that he's opening pockets of space for everyone else. And the other thing is, you've mentioned it with the playoffs, he's like held up defensively against Winks. And I know he's getting older. I know there's the injury history. But if you're looking for like the non-blockbuster move, a gettable guy who shouldn't cost you too much draft equity, because I do think if you're the Rockets, there's probably, you want something for him at this point, unless he completely flops this year. But like, you're probably just as interested in getting his money. If you can get an expiring contract for him, that opens up things that you can do moving forward as well. So I think he should be moved. It's just the number that's left on his deal. I still think it's prohibitive, uh, but it's, you know, you mentioned the incentives. His, his incentive is also funny where it's like that third year becomes guaranteed. If they win the title, he makes an all-star team, whatever it was like the, the, the Rockets contract incentives remain undefeated. They're hysterical. Yeah. Um, and like in 2019, just that we're talking just two years ago, name like seven better role players in the NBA than Eric Gordon. That guy was really, really freaking good. Um, and I, I, I do think, you know, the money, I don't think, I really don't think it's as prohibitive as like a lot of people think it is. And I, I think I, I would venture to guess that they get a first back for him. I, oh, wow. I do. Yeah. I, I think they get a first back for him. It may not be a good first. I mean, it's probably not going to be a good first because they're going to be trading with a contender because a rebuilding team's not going to acquire Eric Gordon. But here's the thing with Houston. Like if you look at what their salary cap situation is, John Wall and Eric Gordon at this current point, they expire in 2023. In 2023, they're going to have two max cap spots, and that's it. The cap space is gone because they're going to have to worry about the extensions of Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr. A lot of the draft picks they just drafted are going to be good. I'm not sure if all of them are going to, are going to require extensions, but you know maybe Alper and Shangun get required an extension. Those guys are going to get paid. So you're only going to have one summer to use all that cap space. So you know what incentive is there to move Eric Gordon for a non-favorable deal? If you're taking back really bad money, or if you're taking back um, a salary that doesn't expire by that point, I it's just rather keep him because the because you're set up in a such a way where you're opening up again two max cap spots in 2023. I think that's probably what Houston's rebuild timeline is actually. I think they want to get attractive by that point to where you you start trying to recruit free agents and maybe try to do what the Hawks did even last year, even if you can't land like a max caliber free agent acquire the best possible role players in the market and become good. Make that your timeline because you only, again, you only have one summer to use up all this money. Two years, 37.8 million is what's left on his deal. That's if they get a first, that'll be impressive. I guess a lot depends on, I agree that they won't and shouldn't take on salary that extends noticeably past or past his um, two year guarantees. And that definitely you don't want it more expensive, but if, if you can just, get a, one of the larger, one of the least larger expiring contracts for him. I wonder if that starts the conversation for them. Uh, I guess a lot though, just depends on how, what he looks like to start the season. Uh, that the, I didn't list this when I sent you the outline, but it's been popping up. What is the, the Ben Simmons to Houston stuff is just, I know people sort of made it a joke. I'm more fascinated in the sense, like I don't understand it because I don't see the pathway to Ben Simmons ending up in Houston at this point. Yeah, when I did my John Wall trade destination column, I put I put the Sixers in there as kind of a throw-in. And even in the paragraph where I talked, the little blurb I put next to the Sixers, like I was like, I don't see this happening. I, I like if if they're gonna trade for Ben Simmons, it's going to require multiple first round picks. Because Ben Simmons is one of the best defensive players in the NBA. In the fast break, he's an absolute he's an absolute menace. Uh, he's still really really valuable. I, I think 
you know, what you see on Twitter is not his actual trade value. I think when you, when you look at what his return is going to be when, when the Sixers do eventually move him, I think it's going to be better than what most people expect right now. I, I think right now his consensus value is probably too low. I think general managers probably see that better than, you know, your average Joe Schmo on Twitter. I think I, he, he's, if, if he gets traded for John Wall, I'm, I'm drastically undervaluing what he is, is what I'm saying. Right. And I, I even thought about it in the context of, well, what if it's like a three team deal for the, the other team doesn't want Ben Simmons and they're facilitating it. Like the players they're sending out are Christian Wood, Eric Gordon, Daniel house, and then other stuff. But it's also like, why are you giving up? I I would do that for Ben Simmons. I think he's fantastic. He's like you said, he's an amazing defensive player. He has some playmaking ability. I don't know that Houston's roster is the best fit for him, but if you surround him with enough shooting, I know people said Philly did that last year, but Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, like they're just not a utopian fit right now. I just, I don't see, I I can understand the logic of the interest. And of course, if his value bottomed out, but you're not trading John Wall and getting Ben Simmons. That's not happening in the same transaction. That's just absolutely not happening. No, if that happens, like the Sixers should get creamed unless they're getting like an insane amount of draft equity. The the Sixers should get killed for that in the media. And even then that would represent a pivot because they're then deciding we're taking draft equity rather than actual talent back when we have a title window to win now with Joel Embiid. That would be, that would be fascinating if that happens. What are your thoughts on Christian Wood leading into this year? There's, increasing in experience around him, I would say. You're also removing, I don't know that John Wall changed your fortunes a bunch, but he does, they're not like flush with point guard options right now. And so that's someone who might've been able to simplify the game a little bit for him. Wood was fantastic when he was healthy last year. Do you think playing within this roster could hurt him at all? And I think the bigger question for me is, and we've talked about this before, is this sort of an under the radar trade candidate to watch? Because he has two years left on his deal. And I'm not of the mind that, oh, you need to trade all these guys instead of paying them. When you're a team like the Rockets, he's extension eligible after this season because of the two years being done. You're, he's on probably one of the best contracts in the league right now when you look at his pay grade relative to its performance last season. Why are you shelling out what could be a ton of money to keep him when you're just so obviously not going to be at that point in your development where you are ready to win? Yeah, here, here's what I always say with this conversation. At, at this point next season, right? So the start of next season, Christian Wood is going to be 27 years old and on an expiring contract. And the rest of the Rockets roster or the rest of the Rockets core rather is going to be still on their rookie deals with several years remaining. So like, I, I just, it's hard for me to envision a long-term you know, future for him in Houston. I will say this, they have so much money coming up in 2023 where like if they if they swing and miss on all, on all their intended targets, Christian Wood's not like the the worst consolidation prize, you know, to use up right. all that money. So they they're not in any rush to move him right now, but I think they really need to start having that conversation if they haven't already at this point next summer. Do you think that he'll be fine playing within this roster? That he'll be able to give deliver an adequate encore to what he was doing last season? Yeah, he's a he's a good player, man. Like I, I like Christian Wood. He's um. He's got his works, you know, not the best playmaker, not the best defender, but you know, that's not what the Rockets are asking of him, right? Like the Rockets are asking him to be a pick and pop threat, you know, uh, and be whatever he can be whenever he gets the basketball in his hands. I think as far as what the Rockets envisioned for him next year, I may actually disagree with that vision. I, I get the sense that they're going to start Daniel Tice 
uh, at center and start Christian Wood at power forward next season. Really? Yeah, I, I I think that was the whole impetus behind the t- the tie signing. I don't agree with that vision. I think Christian Wood's a center. I think, uh, I, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's it's really hard to find the, the the ideal power forward to place next to him just because of his defensive limitations. But I'd rather work on trying to find that now than misplace where he is, you know, long term. Because I I just I don't think he's mobile enough to play power forward. And the Rockets in general are going to be pretty immobile in their starting lineup. Uh, so I, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't like that fit. I actually liked what he was playing before. I liked uh, Jay Sean Tate starting next to Christian Wood. Uh, and, you know, it makes sense to me because, you know, Jay Sean Tate's not the best shooter right now. And, you know, when you're not the best shooter, downsizing you is not the worst idea. I like, I like the idea of, of Jay Sean Tate as a power forward until he figures the shooting stuff out. And, um, it just makes a lot of sense. I like that fit better than Tice and Wood next, starting next to each other. But the Rockets really liked what they saw with Kelly, o- Kelly Olenek next to Christian Wood. I guess this is kind of like their advancement of that. They think, you know, Tice is a better defender than Olenek. Uh, he can make up for whatever Christian Wood isn't as a rim protector. And, you know, some of that's true. I, I just don't agree with that offensive vision. Yeah, and look, the luxury of Christian Wood, and he, you know, we mentioned everything about him on offense. His floor game is really nice too, and so he can play the four on offense because he gives you the range, and there is the level of stuff he can do with the ball in his hands. But it's like you said, it creates issues on defense, and it also seems like, yeah, you do have to factor, think about how you're fleshing out the front court rotation around him, and so some minutes with Daniel Tice, fine, but you do have Jay Sean Tate, like you mentioned. You also have Usman Garuba there now too, who could be a defensive monster. I know he's a rookie, but those are still two guys that I would think you can put it to four, play next to Wood, and that's something to watch. And the other issue I would say there is, like, then you're sort of thinning out unnecessarily your center rotation at this point because Wood and Tice, to me, when you look at the roster, are your centers. Like, who else are you playing Shangun at center? Are you downsizing to, like, the upteenth degree and playing Garuba? They're like, what happens with the backup five minutes if you're playing Tice next to Wood? Yeah, I think Shangun's going to play backup five next season. Like the way their rotations, you know, squaring out right now, I think that's what they intend for him next season. I think he's probably going to be the rookie with the second most minutes on the roster next season because of the role he's going to be asked to play. Um, I'm not sure how he's how they're going to interchange, like w- w- as far as their rotations go, like which guys play with, with which player is the best. But um, my guess is that's what they see. Uh, again, if it were me, I probably would have. Um, here's the thing: the the Daniel Tice contract is so good, so I I understand why they would sign it. Right, it's just a great value, and it's something you can you can get a return for him in the future. So I understand like like in free agency, these are the kind of moves that Houston should be doing. Basketball wise, it's not the best fit right now. Um, before I sort of get into the youngsters, how do you think them sort of? I don't want to say giving up on Wall, but just deciding that John Wall is not a part of this team. What does that do to the primary playmaker pecking order for a roster that even with John Wall was sort of hard up for, yeah, there are guys who could generate their own shots, but who can elevate the play of the teammates around them with their table setting. They just don't have a ton of options. Are they going to default to leaning hard on a veteran like DJ Augustine, or do we see KPJ get more reps uh, at point guard yeah. this year? What What is what is the impact of now not having John Wall there on their sort of floor general vision? Yeah, the Rockets are sending a pretty clear message here in that they they view Kevin Porter Jr. as their point guard of the future, right? Wow. Like they think that they they think he is uh, 
the guy uh, at that at that at that position for them. And listen, I really like his playmaking. Like like what he did last season when he came to Houston as a as a passer, I just thought was really impressive. And I did I didn't know he had that in his game to be honest. Like I you know he got the the James Harden comparisons in college. I just thought that was weird. I I I, know, I didn't see that with him. But in terms of the passing, I definitely do see um, his position in the NBA headed in that direction. He you know he he was viewed as the shooting guard small forward prospect, and that's kind of what Cleveland used him as. And I thought I thought that was kind of the wrong way to use him. I thought that put that was kind of putting him in a box. He played zero percent of his minutes in 2019 at point guard. Like you're not going to try it. Like I get you got Con Sexton and Darius Garland there, but you got to at least you know see what he can do with the ball in his hands. And I, I like that Houston right away when he got to when when he got there. Like he obviously spent his time in the G League with the Vipers. Uh, then when it became pretty clear that he was an NBA player, uh, they made him a starting point guard. And I think that's kind of what they envisioned for him. Um, I think Jalen Green is, again, like I think Jalen Green as a playmaker has a lot of room to grow. So the Rockets really need to figure out like what kind of, what kind of playmaker do we put next to him? And I'm guessing that this is kind of their first stab at like, can this guy be our, our solution to the playmaking? Um, We'll see. He, he, he's, his assist to turnover ratio last year was God awful. He's, really bad defensively and the shoot the shooting efficiency is actually not as good as many people think right he has a lot of areas to improve as a basketball player like he, he shot like 53 percent true shooting last season he was like he turned the ball over like four times per 36 minutes um and that was again like on seven assists per 36 minutes it's not great um but if he if he can if he put in the work this summer i i am intrigued to see it like i i think you know, he does deserve a spot in the early betting most improved conversation because of the role that the Rockets are going to give him and the amount of minutes he's going to play. Uh, I, I think as far as playmaking on the roster, I mean, who else is a playmaker on the roster besides Kevin Porter Jr. and DJ Augustine? I don't see it. Like it's, you know, I, you know, I don't think they're going to ask Dante Exum to do it. I don't think they're going to ask uh, Alper and Shangun to do it. You know, it's, it's going to be, um, it's going to be him. It's going to be him and DJ Augustine, and we'll see how that works out for them. Um, it, it, it could be pretty rough next year for Houston. And he showed – KPJ showed more flair for passing than I ever thought that he would have last year. And Same. just like even some making the quick decisions, some of his passes just felt like pure anarchy where he was, it was just after a ton of dribbling. But there was also just like, you know, some two-handed no-look stuff. And it was – it felt like the feel might be there. And so I'm very interested to see it. But then you look at sort of the offensive talent around him and you wonder if you're putting him at – a little, you'd be putting anyone, I guess, at a little bit of the service there. I'm also wondering how this sort of then informs, and you kind of already touched upon this, what happens with Jalen Green. He did play a lot off the ball last year in the G League. Do you think he's given carte blanche from day one? Because it, look, he was so fun to watch in Summer League, and I, I try not to make see Summer League as too instructive, but I was in on Jalen Green to begin with, and I'm just so far in on him now because I do think the, for someone who didn't necessarily have the ungoverned agency to create at will last year that aspect of his game might actually be there and if you can toggle between playing on or off the ball like that that ends up being huge but for a Rockets team that also needs someone to then direct everyone else and provide some resemblance of an offensive identity to the players around them I don't know if that's overstretching him right away in that role 
Yeah, I I have concerns about the playmaking with Jalen Green. Like, I, I think that's going to be a long-term thing with him that he's going to have to grow uh, and work on. Uh, but his, his ability in the pick and roll in, in summer league was really impressive. Uh, I, I did not think that he – I mean, he's just much more polished than anybody could have imagined uh, already. But, uh, again, he hasn't played an NBA minute yet. So, you know, we'll see how that works out. But – yeah, I think he is going to be given carte blanche. He's going to have an insanely high usage next season. I mean, there's a reason he is, uh, I think he's co-favorites of Rookie of the Year with Kate Cunningham. I'm not, I'm not sure. I haven't checked the odds as of recently, but there is a reason he's pretty high up there. Uh, he's going to have the ball a lot. Uh, and this wall decision only only gives him more of that. So I think I think when, when you're talking about building around him long-term, you're going to have to figure out a long-term playmaking option unless he suddenly surprises people and becomes like a seven, eight assists a game guy, which I don't see for him. But, you know, if he surprises people that I guess, I guess you don't, you don't have to do that. But I do think when you, when you talk about building around him, I, I look at last year's sons as a model of like, if you can find like a, a veteran guard, like Chris Paul to play next to him, obviously not now, it's going to be a long time till they get to that a position where they, where they're actually attractive enough to trade for that kind of a player. But if you can get to a point where you can find a player like that, or even someone in the front court to do some of the playmaking, my point is he's not going to be that guy. At least that's what I see for see from watching him. Um, not only in, in the G league, but some of the summer league stuff. I'm with you on the pick and roll. He threw, I can't remember who he threw it to because it's, it's a summer league roster, but he, he, I think it was against the Cavs and he just threw a bounce pass between two defenders out of the pick and roll um, to find a, you know, the roller. And I think that's something that he could certainly handle. And when you're working with Christian Wood and Daniel Tice, they're not necessarily those like explosive guys towards the rim, but if they're going to pick and pop, you can work the same run the same stuff with them. Even Christian Wood, who has an actual floor game and can put the ball on the floor. They might be able to do some interesting two men things, with them, but it's sort of your, I am with you in the sense that I don't know if he can be your, your top assist guy. I don't want to measure just an assist, but your top playmaker still, I might be more inclined. I might, I'm more of a believer in him now after watching him in summer league, doing some of that stuff than I was beforehand. Yeah. My point is I just don't see him as like the heliocentric offensive guy right now. Like I, I think, I think I see him more as you know, your, your Zach Levine type, which is good. You know, if you can get to five or six assists per game, that's, that's pretty good. It's not where you need to be if, as the lead playmaker. That's, that's kind of where I think, um, you know, you have this in your rundown when you talk about players that Houston should target long-term. Uh, I think playmakers are definitely something I would put high up on the totem ball. Jorn Alperin Shengu guy. We've actually talked about this in the DMs about how, how you are and how I am not. Can you, one, were you comfortable with the price that they paid to get him? And two, can you sell me on Alperen Shangun, who just feels like too much of a throwback player where he's going to end up being like a wannabe Demathis Sabonis um, that I don't think is as good as Sabonis? What am I missing here about him? So I, I, I hear what you're saying, right? I think a lot of people look at Shangun and think, oh, this guy's just Enos Cantor part two, right? And I, I don't see that, right? Like, I, I think he's more than the post, post player, right? He's an awesome post player right like I, he has all he has great touch around the rim all the counters all that stuff right but he's a great screen and dive guy and a, a guy that can actually run the floor and i think a lot of people you know just don't see that with him but in turkey that's certainly what he did a lot and efficient efficiency wise he gets to the free throw line like crazy like he's a monster foul baiter 
Uh, and, you know, we'll see how the NBA rules, the, the new NBA rules impact that. But I, I do think he's going to be able to get to the free throw line a, a lot if he has the ball in his hands. Um, I, I think he's more than just that post-up guy uh, offensively. But as a floor spacer, that's going to be an area of growth for him. Like, he is not a good three-point shooter right now. I do think he has that jump shot in his repertoire, right? He's a good mid-range shooter and a good free-throw shooter. So I think he can eventually become a good three-point shooter. It's not there yet. So I like I like having him as a backup center or even playing in the G League for a season, um, you know, to work on that kind of stuff. And NBA defense, listen, like, that's going to be a problem for him. I'm not going to pretend like it's not. I'm not going to pretend like he's uh, – He's a great defender, but it's it's one of those things where like he is so positive in all these other areas. And again, he was the MVP for the third best league in the, in the right. world, at, like at 19 years old. And you look at the guys who have done that; it's a pretty small list. And and at the number 18 position, if you can get players of that caliber, you can't be upset. Obviously, they paid a, a decent price tag for him. Those picks are pretty heavily protected. The Washington pick and the Detroit pick are forever. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty far to the future. They're mystery boxes. They're not going to say they're not good picks. Like Nobody knows if they're good picks yet. Nobody knows how Detroit or Washington are going to be for the next few years, right? It's, it's just hard to, it's hard to kind of peg that. But um, they could be lottery picks. And if you're talking about trading two lottery picks for Shangun, um, that's, that's, that's a pretty hefty price tag. But it, he, he is one of the guys in the draft where, like, I think, he, I think he has, like, Kevin Love upside. Like, Kevin Love in his prime, prime upside. And if you're talking about getting that, like trading two lottery picks for the potential for drafting that kind of guy, I, th- I think it's worth it. Like I thought on my board, he was number seven. Um, and I think on a- in any other draft, he could have been top four, top five. Um, so I, I'm really high on the guy. I think he has all-star potential at his absolute ceiling. I think his medium range of outcomes is a really, really productive NBA player uh, that is probably a starter eventually not now i don't think he's ready for that now but i think i think in his medium range of outcomes he is a starter he was good in summer league too to his credit i just yeah. his foot speed with the ball in his hands i feel like i'm watching something unfold in slow motion and i'm curious how that translates oh, i'm sorry i forgot to add great passer he is, awesome yeah. yeah like great great passer sees things develop on the court better than most bigs um and that he also has that he's gonna throw at least one to five nifty bounce passes a game it looks like based off what I saw from him, something like I didn't know much about him until I did the crash course before the draft. But his foot speed on the ball, it feels like I'm watching it in slow motion, which I guess if you're going to be a five isn't much of a problem. But then the defense that you mentioned, it is sort of slow-footed, especially laterally on defense there. I just thought the way I looked at it was I see those first-round picks that they gave up from Detroit and Washington, respectively, as first-round picks that are eventually going to convey. I don't – maybe they're lottery picks, maybe they're not. I viewed it as picks – that are that you gave up two first round picks over the next, you know, I guess half decade for they're going to convey at some point over the next half decade for Alper and Shangun. And if you thought they were going to convey imminently when you kind of have like the Nets stuff conveying and you have your own picks for the next two years, I would have gotten it more. But those also seem like the kind of picks that are probably going to convey a little bit distantly. It's it's impossible to know, I will say, because it's so far into the future. So we have to wait years to see how this plays out. I just thought it was it was one of those deals that I hated for both sides, by the way, because I just thought OKC, even as bad as they're trying to be, just yeah. needed an infusion of talent. Uh, and then with Houston, it's like, given where you're at in your development, consolidating anything just felt bizarre. I don't hate it. I just felt a little bit – something about it feels off. But if you're that – if Shangun turns out to be one of the 10 best players in this draft, then you probably ended up making the right decision. 
Yeah, and I think I think as a rim protector, he's probably better than um, than a lot of people expect of him. He, he's he's again the foot speed stuff and the switching like that's that's probably never going to come for him, right? I think I think you're probably going to have to tailor make a defense around him. But as a rim protector, he's got pretty decent instincts. He knows where to be. Uh, he communicates. Uh, obviously, that communication has to get better. He doesn't speak English quite well right now, uh, but um, at that at some point he'll get there. Um, yeah, I'm just high on the guy. I, 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 I really, I'm really high on the guy. And the Rockets have an incentive to get good in the next few years because they have these picks going to Oklahoma City. And if those picks are really good, like that could be devastating towards their rebuild, right? Like, oh, yeah. like it, it, it's not it's not just like a PR thing. That's an opportunity cost. And I think I think that they made this move with that in mind. This was definitely a swing. I'm not going to pretend like it wasn't a swing. This was one of their big swings, but I like the swing. The, so they have two other first round picks in the roster, Josh Christopher, Usman Garuba. I could not believe that Garuba fell to 24. I think the biggest thing there was teams weren't sure that he was going to come over. He ended up being able to broker a buyout and is coming over. I am not someone who has watched him like hours upon hours, but I have seen him. Uh, watched highlights, watched film of him. I am in love with him. I think he's going to bring so much defensive malleability to the NBA, and I thought that was a fantastic pick by them. Do you have any strong impressions of him or opinions of him or Josh Christopher? Can we expect? I think it's pretty clear. And the other thing I'll add, by the way, quickly on Shangun, if you're what they're doing with Tyson Wood, while neither of us are in love with, I think it might ultimately end up benefiting Shangun because I do think he should be a five in the NBA based off how he plays. And that's going to make it easier for them to play him at the five and backup minutes. So there's a benefit to that. But it's clear that he's going to get minutes. It's clear that obviously Jalen Green is going to get minutes. How much do you anticipate the Rockets relying on Garuba and Josh Christopher in their those, ones? Those guys aren't playing. Uh, they're, 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 wow. they're going to be playing for the Vipers. Okay. Uh, I mean, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, they have nine players on their roster that are 25 years or older. Uh, so they have a ton of vets. Uh, it, it, it's hard to envision Houston as that kind of team, but they are that kind of team. They have to unload some of these vets at some point uh, to get some actual, you know, draft capital back. But um, until until they get there, they're they're not going to be playing uh, a whole lot. I think there there may be time for Christopher at some point when they trade Eric Gordon. Uh, I think there may be time for him, but Garuba, I don't think. Um, I think he's going to be spending the bulk of his time with the Vipers next year. Uh, and you know, the, the Tyson Wood thing, like, I think a, a big, a big part of that is like, this also relieves some pressure to like, make him that guy, right? Like he doesn't have to play. He doesn't have to have a lot of usage. He doesn't have to have, a, he doesn't have to play a bunch of minutes. He's the backup center for this team and it's a bad team. So there's not, there's not, there's not this, pre- this, you know, high, this high amount of pressure for him um, to succeed right away. But I think those guys are, you know, Sengun, I think was probably the best defensive player outside of the NBA. Uh, I don't think that's crazy. I think he, he's really, really good and really, really like laterally moves his feet really well. Great communicator, all that stuff can play a few different positions. Um, I like, I, I, I didn't, I was like you, I didn't think he would fall to 23. That was insane. Uh, I th- that was insane that that many teams let him let him fall that much but it is kind of worrying that, that the shooting is something he has to work on right i think that's going that's probably why he fell uh, you know the con- there are probably nba front office they didn't have confident in his confidence in his jumper and that's probably going to be something that's probably going to be something he has to work on with the vipers 
And the Rockets aren't exactly built to give him extra space, like to just have someone on the floor who's maybe not even playing the five and can't shoot. I get that. I will say I hope you're wrong that they don't use him because I look his crunch time block in the summer league game against the Blazers. That just about I'm all Usman Gruba. I'm just absolutely sold on his defensive potential. Uh Jay Sean Tate, all of a sudden, basically like one of the, just the veterans on this team. Basically, everyone knows how valuable he is on defense. What do the Rockets need to see more of from him in year two? Is it really as simple as us saying, oh, he needs to hit more of his threes? Do you anticipate no. him getting even more responsibility on the ball where he showed that he could be really like sort of a bully? Uh, his handle feels a little bit loose at times, but he does. I think for people who maybe didn't watch him as often as you did, um, he really does do more with the provide you more. He's really good with moving without the ball too. Like it seems like he finds sort of these, you know, space vacuums, but he can overpower some guys um, if he's near the rim or even when he's kind of going downhill. I'm just, I don't know what I envision for him necessarily offensively moving forward. That's just a guy that knows how to play basketball. Uh, like whenever I watch Tate, that, that's just what I think of. And like, he knows where to be on the floor. He's, he's a good ball handler. I mean, a lot of people don't know this. Like he, he was playing shooting guard overseas before he came to the Rockets. And then he became essentially a forward for Houston. And um, it's it probably his natural fit. He, he is a bit undersized, but I think he makes up for it. Uh, and uh, I think he's probably going to play small, starting small forward for Houston next season. Um, but the shooting definitely has to come along. Uh, that's that is a concern. Uh, he is 25 years old. You know, I think a lot of, a lot of people think of him as like this 22 year old that the Rockets just got last right. year. Yeah, he's he's 25, and shooting is something that it's a hit or miss in terms of development in the NBA. I think people view this as like something that's very, really easy to catch on. Like, no, that's probably ball handling. It's more easier to become a better ball handler than it is to become a better shooter in the NBA. Uh, that's going to be something that I'm going to watch for with him next year. Um, other than that guy's a stud defensively, man. He's, he's, he's just awesome. Like I, I, I did not, think he was going to be that good i didn't think he was going to play as much and you know during the preseason he got the starting spot on on one of their preseason games i was like really like he's he's that he's doing that well in training camp and apparently he was because that starting spot never went away look he's he's absolutely fantastic you just you need him to hit more than he did shoot almost 60 percent on twos which definitely helps his case but you need him to shoot better than 30.8 percent from three i don't I'm a believer in yeah, shooting is difficult to come along, but if you get, if defenses aren't, they're going to leave them open. And if you can hit set threes, that's doable. I just don't know who's teeing him up for set threes on this roster. If it's not green or KPJ, like it's going to be a little bit of an issue. I am interested to see just based off how I think he moves off the ball, free to disagree. And if you're going to play Shangoon, there might be if some Shangoon passes to Jay Sean Tate might become like a league pass guilty pleasure for some basketball nerds. And I could see, I can envision myself falling in love with, with a play like that. Yeah. And I, I, I think, I think KPJ will find him too. Like, I think that's a guy who knows where guys are on the floor. He may not always make the right basketball decision, may turn the ball over a lot. The thing, the thing with KPJ is he doesn't quite have a tight enough handle yet. Like he loses the ball far too much for a point for what is going to be a point guard next season. I, if you remember his 50 point game, his 50 point 12 assist game, he, he almost turned the ball over by just dribbling too high on one of those possessions. And, and he eventually got a step back three out of it. Like, cool. But like, like that, that, that kind of stuff is, is definitely going to be something that he needs to work on. Um, yeah, it's going to be the playmaking is going to be an issue. I, I actually view Tate as more of a power forward in the NBA. And I, do if too. I think it's a mistake to start him at the three, but please. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think I think, you know, 
have the idea of him next to Garuba or not, not next to Garuba up next to Shingun. I think that's pretty appealing uh, as you, as you work on Garuba's development in the background, I think that's a, not the worst idea. And I think it's, it's, he's, he's just a good player. He's just a good player. I think the shooting is, um, he needs to hit like 34% from three and on catch and shoots, he needs to hit like 36, 37%. Uh, and it'll be, if, again, if he does do that, he just becomes one of the best. You can't even call him three and D because I think he provides more value on offense than that away from the ball inside the arc and all that stuff. He just becomes like one of the single most valuable role. I feel like role players people take as an insult, but complimentary players in the NBA, if he ends up hitting his catch and shoot threes at, at a league average or slightly better clip. And, and have you seen his contract? It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's the it's Hinky special. It's the Hinky special. They gave him the Hinky special. Uh, and I think that's because he was just undervalued by the, by the league. Um, it is, it, it it's a huge hit for Rafael Stone, you know, like it, it's like he was, he was hyping him up a lot going into the season. And, you know, a lot of people were just kind of like shrugging, like, okay, we'll see. Like nobody, know nobody had ever seen this guy play in the NBA. And he, he, he was right. Like that's, that's, that's an, that's an arrow he has in his quiver that he got that pick right. And the Kenyon Martin Jr. Pick, which, Kenyon Martin Jr. was a guy that probably wasn't supposed to be drafted uh, last season. And he got drafted, and he now it looks like he probably should have been drafted higher. That guy is, like, legitimately a freak athlete. Like, he tries to dunk on somebody every single game, and he always misses, but it's always entertaining to see him <laughs> attempt it. Like, he always tries to dunk on somebody off of a rebound. Um, and defensively, like, I, I, I do see the versatility there. And the shooting with him developed so quickly, came out of nowhere. Shot thirty-seven percent from three last year, or something like that. Might have been thirty-six and a half percent, or something like that. And that's that was an area of concern for him coming out of the draft. Uh, the fact that he was that good coming out of the coming out of um, you know his, his first season in the NBA, it's it's pretty impressive to me. Again, like the I'm just mentioning like these are arrows in Rafael Stone's quiver as a general manager and as a talent evaluator. Like I I'm still trying to gather you know, data on him because again, he's only been a general manager for like what, 16 months or something. Yeah. But like this, this is, it's pretty impressive what he's been able to find on the scrap heap. Yeah. And look, Kenny Martin Jr. showed some, he, I was going to ask you about him or give you the opportunity to talk about him. So you're assuming he'll, will play a role like a regular role on this team. He's going to play the backup power forward. Uh, oh. And yeah, it, I, I think. Which he's not, by the way, he's not all that big. He just jumps like he is. As someone <laughs> yeah. who could like, he could, he could legitimately, you know, be a help, be a help rim protector at what is he six 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 five whatever he is right now. Yeah, it, it's not hard to tell who his dad was. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's uh he he doesn't make it that that subtle. Um, but yeah, it's it's an exciting young group. Uh, and I think Kenyon Martin Jr. is one of those guys. Are like, I I, I want to see how he does a second year in the NBA. If, see if the shooting holds up. And if the shooting holds up, that's uh, you know. John Lucas is like a really heralded guy in, in the NBA as a player development coach. And, you know, that's, that's, that's a success story. If you can get Kenyon Martin to be a good three point shooter in the NBA. This team is going to be bad on offense. And yeah. I think the expectation is that they're going to be bad on defense too, because of, I guess just the sheer youth, but I kind of look at this roster and I'm like, are you already said Garuba might not play and he is a rookie. So fine. But you, if David Nawaba is healthy, you have Daniel Tice now, you have Jay Sean Tate. If Kenyon Martin Jr. is going to play, like, is there a chance that this team 
surprises people on defense or do we just assume that they're going to be absolutely terrible on that end of the floor? Okay. So you said surprise. I was, I was ready to shut you down because what you put in the rundown, you said that they were going to be an above average defense. No way in hell. I, I, first of all, I asked you, I never would have picked okay. that, but if I give you an over under okay. of 23rd in points allowed per possession. I'd probably still say, um, you know what? I'll, I'll say I'll say they're like twenty second. I'll, I'll take the I'll take the under. I guess. Yeah, I'll take the under. I, I don't think even know how you go about that. Yeah, whatever. You'll think that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I think they'll be. I think they're still going to be bottom ten, but I think they'll be better than last year. But but here's the thing. Like, I mean, and you know this defense in the NBA is is really simply like how many good defenders are on your main rotation, or and how many good defenders are in your starting lineup. The Rockets have two of those guys in their starting lineup, like Daniel Tice and Jay Sean Tate. Outside of that, they have some of the worst defenders in basketball. Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green's a rookie, um, Christian Wood. Like, like it's it's not great. And those, like, I, I'm not sure Tice is going to be able to make up for all, all of those. That was like worst. Uh, KPJ, sure. But are you looking at Christian Wood or even Jalen Green, just based off what he shows up? Like, are those going to be some of the worst defenders in the league? That feels like a bit strong. I think Jalen Green will be one of the worst players in the league. Maybe Christian Wood, you know, can get to average. Or if he's you know, at slight- the five, I think he'll be okay. But you, you did just say that he's going to play a bunch with Daniel Tice. So yeah, so I, I think he's probably he can probably get to slightly below average or average. So maybe I'm being too harsh on him. I think Jalen Green, like I, I wasn't high on his defense going into the NBA, and and he is a rookie as well. So I think, I think, I think he's going to be pretty bad next season as a defensive player. But um. Yeah, I, I I don't have that much confidence in them being a good defense. I think they'll be better because they have a lot more health uh, this season. You know, they had a, a ton of injuries last year, and they had a right. bunch of COVID misses. And like, I think this season's gonna be better for that. But still, uh, it's not it's not great. It's it's not great when like Jay Sean Tate is like your best defender. Like he he's very good, but like he's not good enough to carry what this is going to be next year. It's also tough to know because if you end up moving Gordon or Daniel House, like then there's a chance you just get worse defensively, especially if House is playing and you're moving him. So I don't know what I would pick, but I just look at the talent. I do feel like if they're going to be better than expected on one end of the floor, I think it's defense because I don't see the pathway to it necessarily for them on, on offense. I think they'll have more shooting than last year. You know, Eric Gordon's going to be healthy for the, I mean, we'll see. I mean, knock on wood, I guess. Uh, Eric, Eric Gordon is coming back. Uh, and I think that, was a big reason they were one of the worst three-point shooters in basketball three-point shooting teams in basketball last year like he is if you look at what the Rockets have been in the James Aron era it's always there's always a strong correlation to one Eric Gordon is playing and their team's three-point shooting so I think that I think I think they'll be a better three-point shooting team a lot of those attempts were just going to like awful awful three-point shooters um it's also I think kind G- of hard to be worse than 29th in three-point accuracy. So yeah, there's no way yeah. to go but up almost for them. And they this is a team that shoots like what 45 threes a game or something. Like it, I don't I don't remember what it was, but they shoot a ton of three-pointers per game. They so. were still in the top three of the percentage of their total shot attempts that came from from three-point range last year. So they're they're gonna get them up. <laughs> yeah, and Jalen Green's a good shooter. You know, like I, I think I think he'll be a positive on that end. Um, yeah, it's it's not great. Like I'm not gonna pretend like they're gonna be uh the twenty eighteen Rockets by any means, but like they're they're gonna I think they'll be better as far as three point shooting. But I mean, you're right, I, I think defense is definitely probably a better area of improvement. We we kind of already tackled this really quickly. The biggest void on this team is that they still need that guy that you're gonna look at and say, 
he is our primary playmaker. He is our offensive engine. And may, maybe it could be KPJ, but you're still unsure there. And ditto for Jalen Green, who might just end up being more in like the – I'm not comparing these two directly, but when you think of a Kawhi Leonard or Paul George or even Kevin Durant as a playmaker where they might get their – maybe he gets to a point where it's four or five assists a game. One, is that going to happen next season? I don't know. But two, you probably don't want him running your offense. And so that's still what this team is needs most, right? Yeah, this team – first and foremost needs a star and well, and like yeah and like like i i know i i know we're kind of assuming in this exercise that jalen green will be that guy but i just want to put it out there no he hasn't played a minute of nba basketball we don't we don't know if he's going to be a star i think it helps that they at least have that tent pole prospect where right. there are some teams that you know and yeah i'm with you they still need a star but like when you're looking at specific archetype um, mm-hmm. It would be the primary playmaker. Yeah, assuming it's his potential, I agree with you. Yeah, they they, they need playmakers and defenders. They, they that's what they need for the like long term, like building out theoretically this team. That's that's what I would target if I were Houston. But like again, I I look at the I look at the the Suns last season. I'm like, that's the archetype, man. Like the, you got to you got to build a team like that. This is a tough question for this team. What do you think is going to be the most effective or most used closing lineup for them? We're operating under the assumption that they're going to be close games that they want to win, which is always one, those lineups are definitely a lot matchup based, but two, they might fuck around towards the end of the year because there is the, or even during the entire year, because there is the market, what they're doing right now, which is smart by leaning into sort of the rebuilding mode right now is there is a market inefficiency when you look at the rest of the NBA of teams that aren't actively trying to win a bunch right now it feels like there are only between like four or five teams that are only care about later. The Rockets are one of them. So it makes it tough to judge not only how many close games they'll be in, but like, what are they going to actually try and field the best talent down those stretches pander more so to, we want to just generate more experience. We're going to see all the youngsters in crunch time. But if you had to guess what would be the best crunch time lineup for this team down the stretch of close games. So one difference between this front office and this coaching staff and the last front office and the last coaching staff is they're much more traditional as far as positions go, right? Like they, they, like Eric Gordon played all of his minutes of shooting guard last year, whereas under Mike D'Antoni played a ton of small forward. Right. Uh, so like, and, and that goes on down the line. Like they really wanted to get a center uh, before, you know, when they thought they were going to keep Harden, uh, they really wanted to pair a, a traditional center with him. So I think they're going to, they're not going to play a small ball lineup in closing in crunch time next season. I, if I were to guess, I, I would say Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, uh, Daniel House, uh, and um, Jay Sean Tate and Christian Wood. That's probably who I would I would peg as their as their closing lineup right now. You're the coach or GM. I this isn't what quirky lineup do you think they're going to try? But you have the option of telling them. You have to test out this lineup. What is an offbeat, unconventional five-man unit you want to see them play? I want I want to see them play Eric Gordon at small forward. Okay, I want I want to see them play Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, Eric Gordon, and Jay Sean Tate and Christian Wood. It's not that different, actually. It's not that different from what I think they're going to do. I don't think they're going to play small. Like I think their lineup actually, their roster actually suits well to Christian Wood playing center in, in crunch time. So I'm going a little bit more off the walls here. I'll provide an answer to this because this is my favorite question of every single team podcast that I ask. I'm in, I'm sort of along the same lines as you. I want to see it's basically just all youth for them with the, except I want to see Jay. Oh, okay. I want to see KPJ. I want to see Jalen green. I want to see Josh Christopher. And then I want to see Usman Garuba at the five. 
make it happen. That's your small ball lineup. I would argue again, this was supposed to be an off the walls question. And like you said, based off, I'm not very off the walls for the, to, to be fair. I, I'm, I'm very conservative with this kind of stuff. So well, like, but I, you're also basing, basing it off of, you're saying that this front office is, has a put, put more value in maybe traditional lineup setups than yeah. the previous regime. I'm just wondering, it was like when the Hawks were not very good yet, but you wanted to see the all youth lineup. Mm-hmm. Give me the all I'm putting youth in quotes because I know Jay Sean Tate is, you know, the, the age of a veteran, but just lean into that. And I am such a big Garuba fan. And I think that down the line, given what he does defensively and then the role that he probably needs to play on offense, unless he develops into a good shooter, putting him as a small ball five, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. No, I don't advocate towards not having Christian wood on the floor for long stretches. I just want to, I want to see them get a little kooky with that lineup. Yeah. Okay. So if I were to go all youth and this goes against everything, I like, I want to build the best lineup I can possibly be. I think this lineup is going to be terrible, but let me just say, <laughs> Let me let me just say what what I think it could be. Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, Josh Christopher. I think uh, at small forward. Uh, I, I'm 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 gonna put Tate to the side. I'm gonna I'm gonna start Kenyon Martin Jr. I'm gonna okay. go even crazier, okay? And I'm and I'm gonna start Shangun. I love yeah. again. Yeah, I love Shangun, man. I, I I can't quit him. I want I want to see him in the NBA so badly, but probably more than I want to see Jalen Green because I I, I want to be right about him. <laughs> I do hope they try like some, it can be any, I don't care which players it is, even if they don't fit, let's run the all youth lineup. Like this is the, like, the, Hey, we're, yours is feels like it could be semi-realistic when you're thinking about the personnel, especially if you think um, Kenya Martin jr. Is going to get uh, the backup for some of the backup four minutes. Anyway, what would be really stopping you from, and Kevin Porter jr. Is already basically your point guard. What's stopping you from trying that lineup? No, no, nothing. And you're playing, you're putting a bunch of athletes next to Shangun, which I like. I like the idea of long-term just surrounding Shangun with a bunch of versatile athletes, uh, aside from Kevin, Kevin Porter Jr. Like, I, I think, I think that's, that's, that's fun. Like, that's fun to think about. So as of this recording, because I know these things are subject to change, their over-under is set at 27.5 for next Under, season. under. Taking the under. Under. Under, I, I, I want to put money on that right now. After we're done recording this podcast, I'm taking the under on that. Wow! So you're that. It's, I guess the West is tough. So where do you envision they won 17 games last year? They won 17 games. Like this, this was a really bad team last year. I, and they added six rookies. I mean, they added four rookies. They're going to be really bad. Like, and I, I get that a lot of these rookies are talented. So theoretically, like they're adding talent to the roster. I get it. But young players turn the ball over a lot. They suck at defense and they, and they're not very efficient. So like all those three, like it, it's, it's not great. I, I think, I think they're going to be better than they were last year. It's because they're going to have better health. I think they're going to make more sense um, because John Wall is not there, but Ooh. I think, I think they're still going to be like, if I were to peg it, I I'd probably say 25, 24 wins. That's, that's probably where I have it. I think I'm with you. Now that I'm thinking about this, it doesn't feel like, and they've had time to do this because I only looked this up before we recorded this podcast that they haven't accounted for the fact that John wall, isn't going to be with this team. I know he wouldn't have made them marginally better, but he's the best point guard you have on the roster. And if they do decide to trade Eric Gordon, so I'm going to take the under here too. And there's also, when you look at the West, as I already mentioned, most of the teams there, even if you don't believe in them as actual play in candidates, Minnesota, even Sacramento as of right now, unless they blow it, like those squads are trying to win. OKC and Houston are kind of the only teams that are not, unless I'm missing one there. I'm trying to think of what other team in the West is not actively trying to win. And so that kind of benefits Houston. 
And I think what also benefits them is even if they are more talented because of the rookies they brought in, should you commit yourself to playing all four, which you've questioned whether they actually will, uh, you, you are probably just organically going to be worse by virtue of that added youth. Yeah, and, and listen, like I actually do think they have a lot of good role players. The problem is who's stirring the drink, right? Like a lot yeah. of young, young, a lot of young talent. And I don't think there's, um, I, I, I don't, I like, I think Kevin Porter Jr. is going to surprise some people. I think he'll be, I think he'll actually have a decent season next year. But I don't think he's good enough to carry this team to the, the play-in tournament. Like I, I just, I just don't. Like it's that's that's too ambitious for his first year as a starting player in the NBA. Yeah, and I look. If you look at even the teams that let's say they're caught between trying to win and not caring about it, San Antonio, Sacramento, Minnesota, Memphis. Given what they did this offseason, they're all still just they should be clearly better than both Houston and Oklahoma City. Yeah, and, and and what's interesting is they also haven't torn the roster down to shreds yet. Like there's, they still have a crap ton of vets, and I think they're going to be trading some of these vets midseason. Like we talked about already, they're going to trade Eric Gordon. They might trade Daniel House. They might trade like some of the this this the frades they signed this summer. Like I think they're going to when you trade those vets, you're going to get worse too. And if you do end up trading Christian Wood because there's an offer at the trade deadline that blows you away, that you need to slam the under. If you think if you don't think Christian Wood is going to finish the season on the Rockets, you need to slam the under on the 27.5. Yeah. Where do you think they are in the West? Bottom 2, bottom 3? The only te- the only team that I could see is as as worse than them is Oklahoma City. I think Oklahoma City is god awful. Uh they're 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 really bad. They're If Oklahoma City is even within sniffing distance of 510 games into the season they're shutting Shea Gilders Alexander down for the next half decade and trading literally everybody else on the roster around him they are so clearly not interested in doing in winning any basketball games right now yeah and if they are that they, they should give that guy what's his name Mark Dano how do you yeah, pronounce his they, name yeah they they, they, they gotta they gotta throw like a, they have to throw a bunch of money at him to retain him for like a 10 year extension. Well, they need to fire him because he's ruining the tank. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, like their, their roster is just so, well, here's the thing. Shea Gale, just Alexander. I don't want to be disrespectful. He's really, really good, but everybody else is so bad and they're so young. And they also took a bunch of rookies in this draft. I think people forget, like they had a ton of draft picks in this draft and I, they're going to be leaning on a lot of those rookies. They're going to be leaning a lot of Poku. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure. I feel feel confident in uh, in in that roster. I think I think that, that's going to be a really bad team. Oh, it, it it's built to be. And I this is not an Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Let's just leave it at that. Their roster is is wolf, and I I I question a lot of their draft. So Josh Giddy, I didn't under uh, the. I, you look at this, and their second best player is very clearly going to be Lou Dort, which I think is a problem if he's your second best player. Their biggest issue is where. Yeah, they're ahead of the curve because they have Shea Gilgis Alexander, but where Houston has a tent pole prospect, they still to me don't have a tent pole prospect. Like they're trying to build around Shea. It's I don't Josh Giddy doesn't want to score. It doesn't look like when you watch him play. And it's, it's not Lou Dort. It's not, you know, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. I couldn't believe they traded number 32 and 34. Um, to or what whatever they did for him, uh just to trade up to get him. Just bizarre, but the question I want to—it just is- felt like their whole draft just felt like franchise hubris. Like, like, like they, 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 they curved at every possible direction. Like, okay, so they're gonna take what was it? Who, who was available at number six? Was Kaminga available? 
Yeah, he was. He won at number seven. Of the so Warriors. they pat they passed on Kaminga. They passed they passed on Shangun, who was supposed to be like a top ten pick on a lot of people's boards, and then they, they, they traded him to Houston for two first round picks. Yeah, and he's going to convey for like I would argue the first time one of those picks is going to convey. I think you your best bet is probably. I don't even know. I'm looking at the protections right now, and it's because Washington in 2023. I don't think Bradley Beal is still there. Personally, I guess Detroit might be your like the, the first of these picks might not convey to 2024. Is my point, if that. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a while. Um, it, it, it's it's draft hubris. That's what that is. Uh, but to be fair, we did not. We only got to see what was it three minutes of Josh Giddy in the summer league. He had a, he had a, he had a, he had a nice dunk. And he, look, that was the other thing is he scored, which was just so out of character for him. So maybe we're all just completely wrong. Yeah. Maybe he's the hidden gem that like, you know, but here's the thing. He, he was in an exposed league. It's not like Giannis playing over in Greece where nobody got to see him. Like he was in a pretty well-documented league. It's not like people weren't watching Josh Giddy. Um, it, it was just such a curveball to me. I, I would have taken Kaminga, but um, we'll see. I, we'll see what he is. With, with regard to the Rockets, is there anything about them that I didn't, we didn't touch upon, I didn't ask you that you think really needs to be talked about before we wrap up? No, I think we covered everything. Uh, to me, the most compelling storyline, I'm not sure if I made it clear enough, I really want to see Kevin Porter Jr., man. Like Because they're, they're clearly putting the keys of that position to They're giving him the keys. And I'm not, I'm, you know, we'll see if that's a smart decision. He was really intriguing. Uh, and they got him for absolutely nothing, you know. So I guess it can't hurt to just see what he has. And like, if if it doesn't work out, you can trade him, uh, you can waive him, whatever. Like, it, but it it is it is one of those things where like I it surprised me. It really did surprise me that the John Wall thing unfolded as quickly as it did. And look, the offense when he was at point guard was not good. It was in the twenty sixth percentile of efficiency, one hundred eight point four offensive rating for cleaning the glass that's still better than what their overall offensive rating was. And so if you're not going to play John Wall, he's your he's clearly your best next highest swing there to run, unless you're going to acquire someone else. Because it's it's not DJ Augustine, it's not Dante Exum uh, and his little net rating contract incentive. And I don't even know who you could realistically think about pivoting to after that. Like, it's, you know, is it... What are they, they going to put in their next contract? Is it going to be like Vorp? Are they, they going to put Vorp in, in, in their next contract? It's just such an insane stat to put into a contract negotiation. Like, it's, I it's will, nuts. I will say that I thought it was wild people's reaction was, well, why would they, why would the agent negotiate like a team-dependent incentive like that? And I was like, it is kind of done all the time because if you make it to the X round of the playoffs or win a title, that's not on the shoulders of player Y anyway. So, but yes, that was... We need, I need them to get even more specific where it's like, if they finish in the top, like seven of steel percentage and top 10 of block percentage in the same, like, let's get super just granular, whatever. But that was, I think that's my favorite, maybe not my favorite, but it's clearly the best contract incentive to, to come out of the off season. <laughs> yeah. What are we going to use next? Like John Hollinger's board metric? Like, like, like how, how deep are we going to get with this? It's, it's, it's just, we need to if your average ranking in all the top 15 catch all metrics is like in the top 50 or like that, it should be something like that. Incorporate all these metrics, average out your rank. And that should be the next incentive. Um, Salman Ali covers the Houston Rockets and the NBA at large for clutch points. He's also the host of the red nation hoops podcast. Are you able to tell our listeners where they can find you and your work Salman? 
Yeah, uh, for the podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, all those top platforms, I'm there. Uh, clutchpoints.com, uh, you'll find my work there under the Rockets section. Um, yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter, at SomaliNBA. I'm, I'm going to tweet all my work, obviously. Definitely follow him on Twitter. He will sometimes uh, publish polls that Rockets fans are overwhelmingly against, and those are just fun to respond to. Yeah, I, I like pissing off the fan base that I cover. It's, it, it's always fun. Thank you so much for doing this, Amon. It was a blast as always, and I think you know by now I'll be pestering you again in the future. I'm looking forward to it.